Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here, welcoming you to today's Walk and Talk, where our guest is a repeat guest. Sarah Smith is the editor-in-chief of Prevention Magazine, words are hard today, where she oversees the health brand on all of its platforms, which includes their monthly print magazine, their digital site, books, events, and other initiatives that they take on. Prevention has been at the forefront of wellness for more than 70 years, which I didn't know it was that long until Sarah and I spoke about it recently. And Sarah has expanded the brand's reach and has deepened its commitment to relying and sharing science. So this conversation today grows out of a conversation Sarah and I had a couple of weeks ago where we started to really talk about the philosophy of Prevention Magazine and how maybe that differs a little bit from how many in this country sort of think about health and wellness and illness and all the things. So Sarah, welcome back to a 99 Walks Walk and Talk. Thanks so much, Joyce. I'm so happy to be here and to talk about prevention, big, you know, capital prevention and lowercase prevention. Exactly. So real quick, because you have been with us before, can you share a little bit of your journey and how you came to your role at prevention and the whole health and wellness space, how that became important to you? You know, I've worked at a lot of magazines in my career, and they've all really been focused on helping people in some way, you know, parenting magazines, women's magazines. Um, and what, what's really been gratifying for me at Prevention is that I care a lot about health and wellness in, in particular. And so to combine that uh, love with my work has been, you know, just really, really great. And to have every one of our pages in the magazine and every one of our digital stories that we do focus on this subject area means we can really dig in to not just, you know, oh, here's what you should do, you know, but why that is and what the experts say and, um, you know, and not just the first expert you might call, but, you know, but we, 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 we get to talk to a lot of really great, fascinating, smart people. So I love it here because I still feel like I learn something new all the time. And that's really what I've tried to do over my career is workplaces where I can learn and be challenged, you know, but, um, and that's what I really hope people get when they're reading it too you know this are they going to learn something new that's what drives us it's funny because i think that's one of the reasons honestly that you and i have become friends through this process uh, mm -hmm. or through working together because we both get really passionate about this space and the work that we do and to be perfectly honest Sarah, like you bring a level of enthusiasm and freshness to every conversation we have around these topics that is a little bit unusual. 
<laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate that. I have a really great team too, who's also really enthusiastic and always looking for what the, you know, the best thing to share with our readers are, you know, because I think our readers, like your audience, they're smart people who know stuff already, right? So, you know, what are we, what, how are we going to help them in a way that they haven't heard before, help and inspire them? So that's what we're always trying to do. And you are, you do that so well also. Thank you. Well, what's, what prompted this conversation, and I want to kind of go right to it just because, uh, there's so much we could cover. Um, we, mm-hmm. you know, you and I need 10 of these conversations. But what prompted this conversation was a conversation you and I had where I was really expressing some frustration around really the, the primary principles of our healthcare system in this country. And I was kind of whining at you about the fact <laughs> that our whole system seems to be built on this idea that ignore everything until you get sick and then go to a doctor and they'll give you medication to get better. And it occurred to me that that's crazy. So we were talking about that and you were like, yeah, that's kind of what Prevention Magazine has been doing for 70 years. It is. I, which is sort of crazy to me. So can you share a little bit, because you alluded to it, but we didn't get into it. The founding of Prevention Magazine and how that came to be around this idea of, oh, what if we help people stay well? You know, prevention was founded in 1950, and it was so on the cutting edge, I can't even tell you. I mean, this magazine, I mean, the first issue actually fascinatingly was all about polio because it was, you know, rampaging and people were terrified and there was no answer to it yet. They didn't know that the vaccine was a few years away. So that was fascinating, right? They got all these like leading people to talk about it in a, you know, in a holistic way because people just didn't know what was causing it. But beyond that first issue, which was polio, um, you know, after that, it was really about this holistic lifestyle about eating clean, you know, walking. We, we, we talk about walking all the time now, and we've been talking about walking since 1950. And I think there were a lot of ideas in prevention that were um, surprising at the time, you know, like grow your own vegetables or try to find someone who does because there was so much, you know, uh, reliance on quick and processed, you know, processed foods were starting to be very exciting to people. And the time-saving aspect of them, of course, amazing. But people were starting to get away from, you know, the whole whole foods idea. And prevention was like, no, no, you know, we need to, we need to be talking about that. You know, they talked about kale before kale was cool, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they talked, prevention talked about meditation and all these ideas that nowadays I think are much more um, mainstream, but, uh, you know, the, the, the founders of prevention, the Rodale family were, you know, just very, very much aware of uh, the person as a whole person and as well, our, um, you know, our place on the planet too. That's always been an important part of prevention, you know, sustainable living too, which again, you know, didn't get cool until, you know, decades later. It's so fascinating to put it in historical context like that because it was right at the rise of you know I, well it was it predates the big gulp right and the super yes. it but we were heading in that direction and so early for at least some people out there to be saying 
I don't think this is necessarily so good for us. Right. I mean, if you compare it to other magazines, you know, that were coming out at the same time, you know, those had, I mean, uh, delightful jello casserole type things, you know, I mean, <laughs> that are, you know, of their time. But, you know, conventions like, here's a salad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> salad can be a meal, right? Um, and it, you know, it's, you it's guys really must have been like the, the hippiest of the hippiest yes. magazine. It was a, it was a very crunchy magazine before, again, before that term was even a thing. It was it definitely. And so, you know, that's a real challenge today to sort of live up to the forward thinkingness of that, of that time, because, you know, I, I, I want prevention to continue to say, what is, what is next? What is really best for people? You know, I don't want to just go with the trends. I want to know what is really going to help people live better, healthier, lives, you know, where they're preventing whatever can be prevented, because not everything can, but, you know, many things can. Someone said to me once, prevention, what, what, what are you preventing? And I was like, well, death, I guess, you know, I've been jokingly, because, but really, you know, you're preventing, you know, ill, ill health. So how do you think we got here? How do you think we got here as a society where the focus of our healthcare system is on fixing what is ill or broken rather than trying to stay healthy. Because it's not the same in all cultures. This, I'm not sure it's a uniquely American thing, but certainly it's different in different yeah. places. So how do we get the, here? Any idea? Yeah, you know, the extent to which it is that way here, it's striking. I mean, there is the, the, the one thing is there is something about human nature that to to plan that far ahead, to do something that you don't see an immediate benefit from can be a challenge for us humans. Like, that's fine. But that's, that's you know, not um, insurmountable. And the way our um, medical um, community and the way our society has become, you know, has, has developed makes it harder and harder for us to, you know, to, to be patient with the kinds of preventative things that we should do. But I think a really important issue, of course, is that, you know, our established medical community um, is how, how most many of these practitioners are trained, right? And I mean, you know, the expression, to uh, hammer everything as a nail, right? Yeah. So if you're yeah. if you're trained to to treat and to fix, you know, and then you're rewarded by insurance or or grants if you're a researcher, you know, then of, of course of course that's going to be the focus, right? And um and in order to fix and to treat, you end up people need to specialize, right? So people need to become an expert in brain health and heart health. And thank goodness that there are experts in brain health yeah. and heart health. But then you end up as the person where you have to go see eight doctors and, 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 you know, the brain and the gut and the heart, like those are as well as everything else, but those particularly are so connected and yet you're seeing three doctors about them and you can't, it's, it's a hard, it's, it's a very hard cycle to get out of. I definitely, I, and I'm not about placing blame, but I, I do put, well, <laughs> I say that I'm sort of going to place some blame. Um, I do put some of the responsibility at the foot of insurance companies who just seem reluctant to play the long game. 
right? right? Because if they were to, if they were willing to invest in a meaningful way in our preventative care, then I, I think they would save money in the long term. But I, the insurance I think that's companies definitely don't seem true. to be, yeah, right? Like, I, I mean, yeah. you just look at, like, and I suppose there's a little bit of move in that direction covering mammograms, right? There's some mm-hmm. preventive care that, that they do cover regularly. But like I had this, this very unpleasant conversation with the doctor because I'm, I'm having a bone density problem mm-hmm. uh, and exploring ways to work on that. And my doctor said, well, you can't have a bone density scan for another two years because the insurance company won't pay for it. I was mm-hmm. like, Seriously? Like, so I, it just, right. so you're going to turn into someone who then has a problem that needs some sort of other more expensive intervention or decreases your quality of life, which, you know, is, is problematic and expensive also, right? So, yes, incredibly frustrating. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that about mammograms. If we, yes, I think there are ways that we're moving towards that. But the fact that mammograms are ubiquitous and supported, I mean, that was a decades-long concerted effort by incredible advocates around breast cancer. You know, breast cancer used to be something people did not even say. I mean, breast yep. and cancer, like the two scariest words for people to say out loud. And now, you know, it's, it's completely changed. And that was, you know, that was a very serious effort. And so if only we could have that kind of effort around other kinds of preventative care. And, it, you know, it takes it takes people doing it. It takes a clear, you know, a clear payoff, even if it's long-term, you know, one in eight women get breast cancer. I mean, everybody's heard that now, you know, what else can we say, you know, you and me and other people who share things, you know, to the wider world, what can we say to encourage people to, you know, ask for preventative care? Yeah. And I suppose that that's, perhaps part of the challenge I'm having trouble articulating this. Yeah. part of the challenge is that we don't want to talk about it like I don't want to go out there and talk yeah. about colon cancer I don't want to go out there right. and bang a drum for better mm-hmm. colon cancer screening who in the world wants to think about it talk about it going to what you said earlier kind of around human nature we don't actually mm-hmm. want to deal with this so then I think it's a little bit on our medical community because that is their job. They're the ones who are supposed to think about it and talk about it and advocate for it. Uh, Yes. Agree. Definitely. And if I think if, you know, if those, um, if the organizations that, that make up much of this community took on some of this as a cause, you know, how insurance affects um, care, you know, that would be very valuable. Um, And, but I, I also think, though, there is, unfortunately, there's still a lot, like, in our hands in terms of us saying at the doctor, well, is there a test I can get now? And, you know, and, and again, this is, you might not see the benefit, but the more, because you might have a problem getting insurance to cover it. But the, I do think that the more people that say, can you tell me more about what, you know, what tests are available or what I can do to avoid tests like that in the future. You know, if lots of doctors are hearing that, you know, it might, it might bubble up to the people who have some control over these things. I I hope. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that goes to a little bit of the question around 
what can we do proactively to be a little bit more, again, proactive in our own preventive care? Yeah, I mean, I think it's asking specific questions at the doctor. You know, like, I think it's pretty common. We've gotten to a place where doctors um, will say, now, you know, exercise and eat right, right? Right. right. <laughs> so at least it's like maybe on the sheet, you know, or on the screen more likely because, you know, they're often looking at a screen because that's where all the information is. Um, but, but you know, if you, if you can try to pause that conversation and say, when you say exercise, how much do you think I need? You know, or when you say nutrition, here's what I ate yesterday. Is that, you know, what you would, and doctors don't get a lot of nutrition training, so they might not really be able to help a ton. But I do think that there are other places to get medical and health support besides a primary care um, physician. I mean, you need that. But, um, and again, this is, you know, unfortunately comes down to us, you know, is there a functional medicine doctor that's covered by your insurance? That's someone who looks at you in a more integrated way. Is there a, a naturopath or a doctor of um, what's the uh, osteopathic medicine? Osteopathy. These are all doctors. Yeah. Who have a little bit slightly different training where they're going to maybe ask you some more questions that you didn't think of to be asked. Um, and nurse practitioners too, I'd like to point out, you know, are very well trained, have um, many of them have PhDs, you know, or math, you know, master's degrees. And, you know, nurses aren't, um, you know, assistant doctors, you know, many of them are also trained to fix things, but they do have a more, there is a healing, caring profession as well. So you might have better luck in that kind of scenario. I, on a personal level, I have had uh, very good experiences with some nurse practitioners. Really oh, that's good. Great. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I want to roll back for a moment to something that you mentioned that I have recently dug into a bit, and I don't know that everybody has. Can we talk for a minute about functional medicine doctors? What does that mm -hmm. mean? And is that a new field? It's new to me over just the last few years, but like, I don't know, maybe this is something prevention's been writing about since the 50s. <laughs> yeah, I think we've been writing about the, the, the kinds of things that functional medicine doctors care about for, for many decades, but um, I'm not sure how long it's been, um, you know, a, you know, a specialty, I guess is the best way to, for me to think about it. But, um, but, but certainly more than the four or five years that maybe you and I have been more aware of it, but it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's it's a doctor who does know more, is trained to look at um, how everything fits together in your system and how, um, you know, how food can be medicine, can also be, you know, the opposite. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, and again, how like the, how the gut might be connected to the, the brain, you know, like, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of fascinating stuff about what goes on in your gut and how that affects, you know, how you, uh, how you feel physically, but also your mental health. Um, and that's all very real things that, um, you know, research has been done, but not every doctor is really, um, you know, looking to, to solve it in that way. So, uh, yeah, functional medicine is like, how, what do you need to function well in the world? So it's not just for that, one body part. Yeah, it's that it, it's sort of where you started a bit ago around this idea that our systems, you know, I, I jokingly say 
uh, when I talk to physical therapists or I talk to, to functional medicine docs, I'm like, really, it's all connected? But it seems really obvious, right? Like it's all connected. We are one integrated system. Right. And complicated, fascinating. Complicated. We don't fully yeah. understand everything. But yeah, it's definitely definitely all connected. And you know, there's um there are things that Western medicine, you know, hasn't really fully explored, like acupuncture and acupressure. I mean, again, these are not like people wouldn't still do them. you know, if and, and there's these ideas in, in, in those um, systems where, you know, you you treat an area that seems unconnected, right, to, to the, where the problem is. But in fact, you know, the, the systems either, you know, under the skin or the muscles or, you know, whatever it is, they, they, they do have a, a pretty um, close connection. And I think that's fascinating. And there has been more research lately on um, on those kinds of things. But what are the things we haven't studied? You know, what, how many thousands of years does it have to take in another culture for our culture in the Western, you know, American world to, you know, to be like, yes, let's do a couple of studies and then say, oh my goodness, yes, it works. <laughs> and I think there's, uh, some of it is a little mysterious, right? Like Definitely. some of, some of the research you can show this impacts that but we're not entirely sure why. why? And I feel yeah. like if we can't figure out why, if we can't figure out what the mechanism is, then we assume it's just woo-woo magic or not legitimate. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's, you know, that's, it's it's this, again, a human thing of, of something that we don't understand being, um, you know, scary or, um, or untrustworthy, uh, right? So, you know, I, I don't want to push people to try untested, scary treatments that scare them. I just think having an open mind and talking to more than one type of doctor can be helpful in, um, you know, just exploring something safe that could that could ease your pain or, um, you know, decrease your gut problems, that kind of thing. So what is the answer to encouraging people to be willing to uh, ask more questions. Because I do think, and certainly like you go back to our parents' generations, and I've had this conversation with my mother, which is really interesting. And her generation, you go to the doctor, the doctor says this, and you say, yes, sir, thank you, sir. Right. And, right. and right. there are a lot of doctors who don't actually like it when you ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Some do and some don't. But how do we as the patients, I don't even like that word because that implies that we're, that we're, we're sick ill, already. right? Yeah. We're mm -hmm. sick. Right. Exactly. How do we as people get a little bit more proactive and ask, be willing to ask those questions? I think part of it starts in how we um, approach what, you know, what's even happening here. Like you said, you know, just what you said, oh, well, I don't want to use the word patient. Well, let's not think of ourselves as patients. Can, you know, can, can we re, re, recast that into I'm a, you know, I'm a human, I'm a woman who, you know, is living my life. Like I get to 
ask these questions. I get to take care of myself in this way rather than I got to get through this doctor's appointment. I got to do what they say. You know, I got, I got, I got, right? Like we're so fortunate in so many ways, you know, I mean, yes, we can complain about our Western, you know, medical society, but I mean, we're so fortunate to, you know, to have expertise and, you know, good hospitals and all of those things. So we get to, right. So that one thing is just remembering, you know, that it's, it's a way of taking care of yourself and that you're in control. And I, I just think it's, it's, it's a hard thing sometimes to remind people too that, you know, you matter and you come first, whoever you are. Right. And I think the more we can remember that, the better. I'm reminded of an experience I had when I was a young lawyer, actually, and this just popped into my mind. But early on in my career, I thought if I read a document or I read a contract or I read a case, a case law decision and I didn't understand it, it was because I didn't have enough knowledge, I wasn't smart enough, mm-hmm. I hadn't learned, whatever it was. And then at some point, I got this realization that if I don't understand it, it's probably not me. And I think there's mm-hmm. an element of that that people maybe can take into this. If you're getting medical advice that doesn't make sense to you, or you don't understand it, maybe the problem is not you. The problem Mm -hmm. is it's not being shared in a way that resonates. It's you're not being given the time that you deserve or maybe Mm -hmm. it's not the right advice. Right. I think that's a great point. I think, you know, we, you know that you are good at many things, right? Anyone who's listening knows I'm good at whatever it is, you know, your job, something you do in your home, you know, and so you know that you're smart and capable. And so you just have to try to remember to take that with you when you're in a scenario where, you know, you're, you're not an expert, right? So if, if, like, just like you said, if you're not being, if you're not understanding, it's not you, it's how it's being told to you or how it's being, you know, or maybe you're feeling dismissed or, and, and nobody deserves that and you know you don't deserve that it's just it's so hard with authority figures to um you know to speak up and 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 say that you need something explained another way you need to be heard but you got to do I it think one of, yeah like one of the most empowering things for me personally was being a little bit more this sounds so stupid as i'm going to say it because it seems so obvious but being a little bit more selective and willing to keep looking for medical professionals who I really felt worked with me. And not, you know, not everybody's the same, right? Somebody who's great for me might be lousy for you. Right. But I don't the- think that's obvious at all. I think there's definitely a sense of, again, this is an authority figure. You know, I should, I, I just need to stick with this person. I, you know, I, I don't want to, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I don't want to, upset that I, them, you know, I want them to like me. And, 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 and I say that being that kind of person myself, you know, like I, I don't, you know, I want to be a good patient, you know, right. But, <laughs> right. but, but, but what you said is, is so, I, I don't think it's obvious. And I think it's really important to remember that, you know, ideally you're working together. No one
Oh, Sarah, I just oh, lost Sarah, you. Just... Hello? Joyce? Yes, I lost you there oh, for a minute. I lost you for a second. I'm so sorry. Oh, that was so strange. Uh, that's never happened before. But yes, this idea of, oh, I, and I totally relate to that. I want to be a good patient. I don't want to piss this, this medical professional, professional off because I want them to take care of me. I don't want them to get mad at me. You know, it's not even yes. just, it's like people pleasing on a whole nother level because right. you feel like, they have your health and well-being in their hands and you want them to like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't, and I, I just think if, if we can try to look at it as a working relationship where, I mean, that happens at work too. You want everyone to like you, but you know, it's a little less, um, you know, stressful maybe if once you realize that, well, no one has to be best friends, but we just have to work well together. And I think, I, I suppose if there's any takeaway, like super actionable takeaway for me from this conversation, it is around this idea of looking for medical professionals who you really do feel that sense of uh, uh, partnership's not the right word, but that you're working together towards the to common goal of your wellness. Right, that you're heard by them, that you can ask questions, that they ask you um, questions in a respectful way. All of these are things that are that everyone deserves. And if you're not, don't feel like you're getting that, it's really, truly okay to switch doctors. I mean, it can be complicated with insurance, as we've discussed, mm -hmm. but within the parameters that you've got, you know, it, it can be worth taking the time to try someone else out. And and to not think of it as again like a a chore. Oh, I've got to. I mean, it is. It is a chore. Let's not. I don't want to pretend it isn't. But it is. It's an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity to do something for yourself. Um, you know that that will reap benefits in the long run. Yeah, I had an interesting experience when I was on the hunt for a functional medicine doctor, uh, and this was shocking to me in a really good way. There were several of them who were willing to get on the phone with me for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just to talk about what the issues I'm wrestling with and sort of see if it's a fit. And gosh, they were, there were three of them. They were so generous with their time. And obviously, you know, they're trying to get me in as a patient, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's fine. But they were so generous with their time and their advice. And it really was kind of a, an opportunity to see is this a person who I really feel I can work with. So I think times That's are amazing. changing a little bit. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. really something. And it wasn't a one-off. There were three of them. Uh, so I think times I, are I hope for that a little for more bit. people. Yeah, I do think things are changing a little bit. I do think there's more of a sense of, um, you know, this working together and is it a good fit? Well, with that... We could keep going for sure, but I think we'll leave yeah. it there. So, All right. Sarah, thank you. I appreciate the time. If people want to, if anybody out there is not gathering the wisdom available through prevention, where digitally is it best to find all the prevention things? Prevention.com is our site. And, uh, and then we're on social media with um, Prevention Mag. But I, you know, I, I, we have so much so many great resources 
lots of great stories on sort of whatever ails you. Uh, and, and again, we, we do try to talk to a wide variety of people. So we're not just party lining that we're really trying to, you know, give you the best advice that's out there. And they talk a lot about walking. So there's that. Yeah, we love walking. <laughs> it's our favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. As always, I appreciate your time and conversation. Thanks, Joyce. Great to talk to you. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week in the 99 Walks app and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.